Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. From tragedy to triumph, those are fitting words to describe a man who until his early 40s was fully sighted and abled, and then the next day found himself totally blind for life with serious injuries. We'll speak with Dan Parker about how he got those injuries in a drag racing collision, and how even though he is now totally blind, he continues to build and race both cars and motorcycles, participates in the Paralympic sport of acoustic target shooting, and is also a teacher of machine shop to sighted high school students. But first for our tip of the week. This week's tip comes from Dan Parker. My tip that I recommend people is to adapt to technology. One thing that I use daily at my job is the Orcam My Eye. And it's a simple little camera that clips to the side of your glasses with magnets. And on the fly, it can read any printed material. So if I'm out in the classroom, you know, I don't have to worry about trying to go back to the class and have a scanner and scan it, etc. I can point. It'll take a picture of the printed material. I can have it read out loud to me. You know, so I can work out in the shop or anywhere on the fly with my sighted peers um, with this technology. And so technology is adapting and moving so progressively for the blind. It's amazing, you know, in our iPhones, you know, with voiceover. It, it's just amazing. You know, I can't imagine being blind, you know, 30 years ago, much less 100 years ago. So it, it's truly making our lives better by the week. You know, it really is changing so fast. There are lots of technologies that can really enhance things you do in daily life. Yes, there is. Great. Although Dan is genuinely enthusiastic about his OrCam device, we need to tell you that they are also one of the sponsors of his racing endeavors. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by the Hadley Institute for the Blind and Visually Impaired, offering the 2019 New Venture Business Competition to help blind entrepreneurs turn their ideas into actual startups. More information and submission criteria are at www.hadley.edu slash nvc. And if you would like to find out more about having an audio promotional item for your organization or service appear in the show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Let's start by meeting Dan and learning about his background in racing. I'm Dan Parker from Columbus, Georgia. I'm a para-pro at a local high school, and I teach machine shop. Most of our listeners have visual impairments. Do you? Yes, I'm 100% blind. But you were sighted for most of your life, correct? Yes. I had a really violent drag racing accident in March 31st of 2012 that left me totally blind. Wow. I'm 100% blacked out. During my trauma, I was in a coma for two weeks. My brain swole, compressed my optic nerve, and killed it. So I'm 100% blind and will be for the rest of my life. 
sounds like you're lucky to be alive. Yes, the blindness was just one of the injuries I suffered. Um, traumatic brain injury, broke ribs, collapsed lung. My right arm has totally been totally reconstructed from my shoulder all the way to my wrist. Skin graft sites to repair big holes in my armpit, just numerous injuries. So blindness is just one part of it that I came home with. Wow. So you've had to overcome lots. I take it drag racing was a hobby of yours at the time? Yes, I'm a second-generation racer. Um, I'm the 2005 American Drag Racing League Pro Nitrous World Champion. I was eight years old the first time I went down the drag strip on a mini bike, and I raced my entire adult life. That was really in your blood, I guess. <laughs> yes. My mother was actually eight months pregnant with me, and she won a drag race, so <laughs> I didn't have a chance. <laughs> so when you say second generation, you're referring to your mom. It, well, and my father. My father is 75 years old. He still races today. Wow. So your family's pretty determined. Yeah. Part of your web presence refers to yourself as from tragedy to triumph. I gather you're still racing. Yes. About six months after my wreck, in a dream in the middle of the night, I dreamed that I could race again and that I could race the Bonneville Salt Flats. So soon after I started designing and building a motorcycle at my house with help of family and friends and sponsors, and only 16 months after my accident, uh, August 2013, I became the first blind man to race the Bonneville Salt Flats. I returned in 2014 and set my FIM international class record with no exemptions for blindness. And the way I was able to do that is I'm the only blind person in the world that's ever raced with no human assistance. I have a special guidance system built by a friend at Boeing Phantom Works. It gives me audible feedback so I know how to stay on course. And so, therefore, without having heavy other specialty um, exemptions or classifications, I raced against my sighted peers, and I have a class record. Wow, congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Pays to have friends in the right places. Yes. Yeah, Patrick Johnson is an engineer, and we were friends long before the wreck, and I reached out to him when I sort of had this wild idea, if a guidance system would be possible. He said, oh, that's easy, you know, no problem. So... We went from there. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 This week's focus topic is how Dan has been able to continue racing, as well as his involvement in acoustic target shooting, and how he does his job as a teacher of machine shop to sighted high school students. So I would guess that most of our listeners have not raced on the Bonneville Salt Flats. Can you tell us a little bit about what the experience is like, and then we can talk specifically the adaptations that were made to help you do it? Yes. The Bonneville Salt Flats is a dried salt lake that hundreds, if not thousands of years ago, it basically dried up and evaporated. In doing so, all the salt settled to the floor. And so it's perfectly flat, perfectly smooth, it's about 10 miles wide, about 20 miles long. Bonneville is about 120 miles west of Salt Lake City, Utah. And people have been racing and setting land speed records there since 1914. There's been piston-powered cars go over 400 miles an hour, jet cars go over 700 miles an hour, and motorcycles go over 300 miles per hour there. What's your top speed? My top speed is right at 65 miles per hour. When I 
first called the race officials and told them that I was interested in racing. At first, I think they thought I was prank calling them. Once they realized I was serious and I was a racer and I had a racing background, they really worked with me, but they told me the only way they would consider it is if I built a three-wheel motorcycle to take balance out of the equation. And so I built a 70cc two-stroke three-wheel motorcycle that's got a real aerodynamic body. It's bright red. The front wheel is sort of enclosed with the body, and the two rear wheels are halfway enclosed with these aerodynamic body pieces. And so they're red also. And I sort of laid down on the top of the frame and I actually looked straight down because a normal rider would have to stick his head above the fairing to see where he's going. That doesn't do me any good, so I stick my head down so it's more aerodynamic. So my actual world record is 62.05 miles an hour. That's a two-way average, one mile one direction, one mile the other direction. So fortunately, there's no obstacles in this area, but you said you do need to keep on course, and you had some system designed for you to keep you on track. Can you describe that a little bit? Yeah, the salt flats, you have to go straight, but for miles, because, you know, compared to drag racing, you have a top speed and a really short distance, maybe eighth of a mile, a quarter mile. At the salt flats, you have several miles to get up to speed, and then your speed is measured the average through one mile. Then if you set the record, you go the opposite direction. So if wind is helping you one direction, it'll hurt you another. It averages out. Mm-hmm. So the course is 90 feet wide, and we had to demonstrate to the race officials that my guidance system works, that it gives me audible feedback. But if I go 20 feet right or left, it'll shut off the motorcycle. When I go through the finish line, it shuts off the motorcycle. The chase truck can remotely shut it off if they see like a safety hazard, like a fire or oil leak or something, they can remotely shut me off. And then also the guidance system shuts off the motorcycle if it loses Wi-Fi signal, GPS signal, or if the hard drive overheats. Gee, this is pretty sophisticated. You have some friends with some uh, nice capabilities in electronics and design. Yeah, Patrick Johnson, the engineer, he's an electronic engineer at Boeing Phantom Works, and um, he likes a challenge. He likes racing. He actually has been to the Salt Flats tuning on cars before, so he accepted the challenge and has been an absolute blessing. I, I could not have done any of this without him. So from your description, it sounds like there's only one person racing at a time. You're not doing this side-by-side side with somebody else. That's correct. You're just racing against yourself, you know, your class, your combination, to see what's the fastest average that you can go. So there's no other racers on the course at the time, and you go and make a pass, and once you're clear off to the safe part of the course, the next rider will come down. Now, you also mentioned that this was after your accident that you put this motorcycle together, and you helped work on it. What did you do to put it together? Well, I designed most of it, and I bent all the tubes, and I machined all the parts, and then I'd have friends come over and donate their time, and they would weld for me. I had another good friend, Sam Perry. He basically lived at the house with me for about two months and helped me design most of it, complete it. He wired it, plumbed it, and then had other friends come and mount the fairing and the bodies. So this is sort of my creation. I built race cars for a living before I went blind. So this was sort of me adapting to my, you know, blending my new life, my old life, you know, bringing what I love from my old life to my new life and passions and trying to stay positive, try not let blindness win and take away my passions. That's incredible. I must say, I've seen a photograph of this motorcycle, and it is really slick. 
<laughs> Thank you. Thank you. And as you said, your daytime job is to work in a machine shop. Can you tell us what you do there and how that works out as a totally blind person? Yeah. I work at Jordan Vocational High School, which is the oldest vocational high school in America. In today's world, machinists and welders are high demand all across the country. So I'm a parapro. I work under a sighted teacher, but I teach machine shop. And so I'm out in the shop every day on milling machines or lathes, giving the, or, you know, local youth a skill, teach them how to read calipers and rulers and micrometers, running mill machines or lathes. And we have several projects. And so I'm out in the shop running machinery just like everybody else. Are your students mostly blind or sighted? Oh, no, every one of them sighted. I don't have any blind students. I'm the only blind person in the whole building. So now we have no problem believing that a blind person can do anything, but your typical 14-year-old might have an issue with that. Do you get pushback from the kids or the other faculty? No, the faculty have been great, you know, especially my principal and all my the staff are really supportive. The kids a little bit, you know, kids will be kids today. Um, you're not going to stop that. But as far as the blindness side, no, they're they're fine. They Once they see me run a machine and actually teach them and the skills necessary to do it, they generally don't give me any trouble at all. As a blind person myself, I would be terrified to get close to some of these machines. In fact, I've known many sighted friends who've been woodworking for many years, and they don't have all of their fingers. How do you accommodate to this? What's your trick? Well, I actually do woodworking also. In 2014, I started attending the Louisiana Center for the Blind. I went for a nine-month training course there. And they teach woodshop two hours a day. So, you know, you're taught how to think safe, how to touch and feel your machinery to know where you're at at all times in relationship to your cutting blades or surfaces or drill bits. And so you just have to be real familiar with the machinery and know, you know, what's sort of a safe zone and what's a dangerous zone and not be afraid to turn off the machine, sort of feel where you're at. Don't get in over your head and don't try to rush. You know, that's the biggest thing, you know. I'll turn the machine off in a minute, stop it, feel where I'm at, feel where the student's at. They'll explain to them why you don't want to do this or why we need to go this direction instead of the other direction. You know, and I had a strong background as a machinist before I went blind, so I've just sort of learned how to adapt the blindness side to it. Yeah. I wonder if as a blind person, you're actually a little bit safer because you're more conscious of these safety issues and a little bit more careful when you're doing your work. Yes. You know, I've had several teachers and peers at work tell me that I actually explain things better because I don't take anything for granted. You know, right. a sighted person, if you got 10 steps, they might explain step one, assume you know two through four, explain step five, whereas a blind person breaks it down step by step. But also doing so, you're thinking about it step by step. So you know the dangers, you know, you're thinking about it instead of assuming anything. So I think some ways, yes, a blind person is safer than a sighted person. You know, a sighted person gets complacent with their work or environment, whereas a blind person is constantly taking in information and thinking about their workplace or their environment. Yeah, I believe that. There is certainly a different mindset to being blind, and sometimes it can work to your advantage if you let it. Mm -hmm. That's right. So now you're also involved in some other interesting activities when you're not either racing or in the machine shop during the day. 
and I guess that involves some target shooting? Yes, I'm on the U.S. Paralympic Development Team for a new sport. It's called acoustic shooting for the blind. Team USA wants to take an exhibition team to the 2020 Tokyo Japan Paralympics. It's not a full recognized class because it's so new, but it will be you know, competed in 2020. And then after that, it should be um, adopted as the Olympic Committee sanctioned event. And so the 2024 Paralympics, it will be a fully recognized class. So recently I attended the Olympic Training Center camp in Colorado Springs, Colorado, and it was very successful. I returned in May to another training camp, and then we have an international competition at Fort Benning, Georgia um, in June. And if everything goes good in October, I should attend a international competition in Australia. Wow, that's so exciting. Now, you referred to this as acoustic shooting. How is that different from any other kind of shooting? So basically, you have an aiming device on a rifle. And so we're shooting 177 caliber air rifles at 30 feet. And so the aiming system focuses on the target, and it gives you sound. And as you get closer to bullseye, the pitch goes up. And when you get on bullseye, it gives you a different tone so you know where you're at. And then you, of course, shoot. And so I was shooting at a target the size of a dime at 30 feet and, you know, hitting it very consistent. Now they've changed the rules. Now we shoot at a target, which is two millimeters. So it's a little bit bigger than the size of a pen tip. And uh, same thing at 30 feet, 10 meters. And that's the new international standard. That's incredibly precise. Yes. You actually hit the bullseye from that distance? Yes. Yes. Wow. When I was shooting before, I was shooting a pistol target, which is the size of a dime. If you break the edge, that's a 10. If you dead center, that's a 10.9. So you take 60 shots in 60 minutes, and my average score was a 10.35. So that means I broke the, the dime ring every time on average. Um, I did have a couple 10.8s and maybe one 10.9. So I haven't tried the new rifle target, the two millimeter yet. I will when I return to the OTC camp in May. Did you used to shoot before you lost your vision? Just a little bit, nothing um, competitively. Uh, shot just, you know, target practicing around the, the house. We, we lived out in the country, so I would shoot pistols and 22s a little bit, but nothing like this, nothing competitively. So this may be a stupid question because you're a blind man who races motorcycles, but what made you think as a blind man that you wanted to do target shooting? I learned about the sport. I love a challenge. I've always enjoyed, you know, target shooting rifles. You know, when I reached out and I found the contact information for the, the Paralympic coach, I asked him, I said, well, how many other people are on the blind team? He said, none. He said, if you come, you'll be the first one. <laughs> so it really gave me an opportunity to be sort of the first person to get this going. And since then, I've had, I have three other teammates. One is from Texas, one is from South Carolina, one is from Connecticut. And so we have, you know, four VI shooters in the United States now. And sort of, it's, it's neat to be groundbreaking floor or something, you know. It's... Now, we've talked about a number of activities that you're involved in that are really things that you wouldn't at first glance think a blind person would be involved in. And you seem to have an incredibly positive view of these things. 
but it's an incredible story that, you know, you were totally sighted and then suddenly overnight went totally blind. I'm wondering, what do you attribute to your success in overcoming such a huge hurdle and change in your life? The biggest thing is, you know, I knew as a race car driver, the risk. You know, I tell folks I accepted the facts. I might come home beaten up or in a box, meaning dead. You know, of course, I never imagined I would come home blind. But that being said, I don't have anybody to blame. You know, I don't have any why me days. I knew the risk. I signed up as a racer. And um, I had a bad day at the office. You know, it it is what it is. You know, blindness is tough. You have your tough days and you have your great days. But that being said, I don't have anybody to blame. So I just sort of had to pick myself up by bootstraps and say, you know, I'm not going to let this blindness win and take away my passions and started moving forward from there. So part of it is just realizing your situation and that you knew there were ways of dealing with it and having a successful and fun life. Yes. You know, I, I got a good support system. My fiance, we had just been dating just a little over a year when I had the accident. And, um, you know, she has a little bit of racing background, so she's been supportive and through the racing before I went blind and the racing since I've been blind. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing. I mean, in order for people to do what you've done, I mean, the first step is to accept your situation and then you can move on to how to deal with it and how to do the things you want to do. I think one of the big issues also is if you're new to blindness like that, you're not plugged into the resources that are available and the methods and techniques that people have developed over the years to deal with blindness. How did you learn and get into that system? Well, I had a few people in the very beginning, and then I became an NFB member. And then once I started learning about the NFB, then I knew that I had to have training. You know, I had to have life skills. You know, I had machine shop skills. I had welding skills, racing skills. Now I had to have new life skills. So basically, my father, you know, I, I was going through my physical therapy, and he was worried about, and same as me, about how I would provide for my family, you know, and a job and, you know, continuing on so i knew if i ever had a chance to have a job in the regular workforce that had to be able to navigate any employment environment independently you know without assistance mm-hmm. so i promised my dad said you know let me finish this racing get this record behind me and i'll i'll attend the louisiana center for the blind and i did now i spent nine months there and it, it was great because it gave me cane travel skills you know, cooking skills, open up my world of technology, you know, along with the wood shop, which, you know, of course, that's why, you know, was attracted to every day was the wood shop class. But that's key. Anybody that's newly blind, you got to, you got to look back. And, this, you know, and at first I said, there's no way I could live away from the house for nine months. But you got to, you know, I looked at myself, I was, you know, roughly 44 years old at the time. I said, you know, I got a long ways to live on this earth. I don't want to be, you know, I call a lot of blind people that stay at the house all day, you know, house hermits, because, you know, the unemployment rate is 70% for the blind. You know, it's tough. We don't have transportation. Most of us don't have jobs. I wanted to break that cycle. And so I tell everybody that's blind, if you are going to try to have a job, you've got to have the skills to be an asset to the employer, you know, and so therefore you got to have the life skills and you got to take it serious. Well, that's tremendous. You really have an 
incredibly positive attitude, and it sounds like through a lot of hard work and dedication, you didn't give up when there was such a big change in your life. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Is there anything we missed that you wanted to talk about? <laughs> yeah, I have one other little project going on here at my house and my little humble 20 by 30 shop in the backyard. I'm building a 2008 Corvette to become the world's fastest blind man. A legally blind man in Europe has been 200.4 miles an hour with human assistance. So my plan is to break that record, bring it home to America. And my goal is 210 miles an hour. And once again, I'll race with no human assistance. Technically, I'm the fastest blind man in the world with no human assistance. But I want to bring the overall record home to America and do it with no human assistance. You know, use my custom guidance system again. So here at the house, you know, this morning I was out in the shop cutting tubing and machining it in my milling machine and prepping materials for when guys come over and help me and do some welding, same manner we did, built the motorcycle. And so I'm hoping I'll have the car running by end of the summer and maybe spring of 2020 set the record. Well, wouldn't that be exciting? Mm -hmm. We'll certainly have to watch for that. Mm -hmm. Now for this week's final item, how to follow Dan Parker's activities, whether it's racing or target shooting or whatever, and how to contact him directly. If people wanted to contact you or learn more about you, how would they do that? Yeah, I, I invite everybody to go to my Facebook page, Tragedy to Triumph Racing. Again, that's Tragedy to Triumph Racing on Facebook. I keep updates all the time on what's going on in my life, whether it's the Paralympic shooting team or the Corvette project or anything else I have going on in my life. And if you search Dan Parker Racing on YouTube, there's all kinds of videos of me working in the shop, explaining how I do things blind, and there's some good content there. And if anybody wanted to contact you directly, how would they do that? Yeah, my email is dansblindambition at gmail.com. Again, that email is dansblindambition at gmail.com. And you also mentioned the NFB as a particularly useful organization. That's the National Federation for the Blind. Mm -hmm. And can you tell us just quickly about what they do and what services they provide? The NFB is advocates for the blind community, whether it's legislation for braille literacy to anything to do with blindness in society. And so, you know, whether it's a blind parent being discriminated against, you know, or blind students not having accessible format for their material at school, just all kinds of stuff, you know, throughout the blindness realm, you know, the NFB is strong advocates for you and your blindness. And they have three training centers. They have uh, one in Minneapolis, one in Colorado, and one in Louisiana. Great. And it sounds like you certainly got a lot of usefulness out of their resources. Yes. Yes. They are always forward thinkers and thinking outside the box. So we've proven that with blindness, you can live the life you want to live. And as usual, we'll have all of that contact information in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. 
That's it for show number 1917. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll talk with Eve Anderson, who's the Director of Accessibility Engineering at Google. And she was on the show about four or five years ago, and Google has implemented many, many, many initiatives to improve accessibility since then. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net or call us at 585-210-8094. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes, and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success, or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.